0: The scripture reading for tonight is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. And it says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. To us, this is the word of the Lord. Be to God. You may be seated. So this, this evening, I just want to keep, pick up a little bit where we left off this morning. We're just going to jump about uh, three verses further into 1 Peter, and we're going to continue talking about uh, what it means to be a believer in trying times. Um, And so the sermon tonight is called Prepare Your Minds for Action. And this morning what we did learn is we learned that uh, we focused on faith and the test of faith, and we learned that trials are to be expected and that God is sovereign over them and that he's doing a good work through them, even if we have trouble seeing it. So, as I mentioned this morning, when you go through 1 Peter, you really see three main themes coming to light as he's talking to people in this difficult situation. Uh, One is faith, one is obedience, and the other is patience. So, tonight we're going to focus on the obedience side of it. What are we called to do when we're suffering? We are to obey God and not man, and we are to grow in holiness. And so the outline, it's pretty simple because really what he does in this passage, really moving into chapter 2 and 3, he begins to move in very clearly into obedience with all sorts of admonitions on how we should live, how we should uh, interact with the government, how we should interact with our families, uh, how we should be stewards of God's grace. And, And he goes in and how shepherds are to shepherd the flock. So there's a whole litany of obedience going through this. Now, we will not be going through all that, but tonight what we'll see is the exhortation. So this is the outline of the, the sermon Look, going through these verses. We're going to see the exhortation that he makes to us. The mindset would be the second point. The mindset needed to fulfill this exhortation. And then the action items. Two broad themes that we are to do as believers. So as we move into the exhortation, um, this follows, again, right where we left off this morning. Basically, what Peter does is he makes a couple more comments. And he says, you know those prophets of the Old Testament? They were inquiring into this salvation. They didn't have all the understanding yet. But what they were looking into was the salvation that you and I have in Jesus Christ. What he's saying, think about that for a moment. He's saying, in one sense, we're more blessed than the prophets of the Old Testament. They longed to inquire and understand who the one was going to come and save us from our sins. We know. We've benefited from it. On top of that, he says, what you are experiencing is so important and so central to all of human existence that even the angels long to look into this. That's pretty powerful stuff. Because half the time as Christians, I feel like we we can just kind of shrug it off. We're more interested in what's going on, uh, you know, in, in other areas of life that don't have to do with spirituality. But all the angels are looking into this. They're watching What is God doing? How is he sanctifying us? How is he growing the church? And all of this is going on. And so Peter moves from that into this exhortation. Therefore, therefore, because of all the salvation we talked about this morning and the fact that it's so serious that the prophets were looking to it and the angels are looking into it, therefore, preparing your minds for action, this is verse 13, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So how should we live in this fallen world when our faith is being tested and when it is not? We're told right here, the first thing we need to do is prepare our minds for actions. This is something not many people do. Jesus talked about the broad road and the narrow road. I can tell you right now, every single person on the broad road has not done this. They don't know the state of their souls. They don't know the Savior. In fact, the broad road is so broad, you don't even have to think to be on it. You're just on it. Only if you start thinking can you get off the broad road and get on the narrow road. Now, the problem is even on the narrow road, some of us who know the Lord, we can fail to prepare our minds for action. When when things are good in our lives, we often get sloppy and just begin to focus on the pleasures of life. Then when times get rough, we're unprepared and we begin to flounder. We tend to live, even as believers, in a state that to be somewhat distant from God. Now, that's not the state of everybody in this room. There's probably some in this room who are living much closer to the Lord than I even know. But I can also guarantee that there's some in this room who are not living as close to the Lord as they appear. They come to church, they listen to the sermon, and the rest of their week is not thinking about God at all. And, And so live in this state that's distant from God... And when we do that, we're taking our minds and our hearts from the true comfort and the true glory that is in Jesus Christ and we're placing them on lesser things. And this wrong choice is the root of all of our miseries. Because we learn how shaky those things are. So God has given us his word to constantly refocus our minds And if we're not in it continually, we will wander, both physically and spiritually. So, we're told, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Jesus said it this way in Luke 12, 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Paul said to arm ourselves for action. He didn't say, put on your leisure clothes and hang around. He said, arm yourselves, be ready. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher, said this, faith is a matter of thought. It requires a mind that is aroused from slumber. But the world so often just lures us to sleep. This passage uh, in verse 13, it says, prepare your minds for action does carry it with this idea, and so some translations use this, that we are to gird up the loins of our minds. Now, many of you are probably familiar with this, but they used to wear tunics in biblical times, and if they had to work or run, you couldn't do it very well because it would get all tangled around your your legs. So they would wrap it up and then tuck it in their uh, their belt or sachet um, in order to not be hindered. And when Peter tells us here to prepare your minds for action, that's actually what he's telling us to do. He's saying don't get entangled with the things of the world. Get rid of the impediments to your faith. So my question to you right now is what impediments are in your life at this moment? Social media takes up hours of many people's time but there's no time for the word, that could be an impediment. Hours of binging TV shows, uh, any distractions, really. So we need to ask ourselves, what are the impediments? And he's telling us, remove them. Get rid of them. And he says we are to be sober-minded. See, in the same way that alcohol can deaden and stupefy the mind and the senses, So the love of the world does to our spiritual lives. We're not even aware. We could be freezing cold and dying, but the love of the world has us feeling warm, like alcohol can make people feel warm when they're cold. And so we live, because we're stupefied and intoxicated on the things of the world so often, we, uh, we live as if this world is all there is. And all these vain desires chasing after the world, they keep us from loving God and walking with him. And along with that, they keep us from finding joy, hope, and strength, the things we actually need. Robert Lighton, the, the commentator, said this. He said, the more your affections are disentangled from the world, the more they can be actually engaged in this future hope. Because when we think about this world, if we think this is all there is, it's because we've forgotten that there's something better. And when we focus on that future hope, we're free to rest fully in God. And, by the way, this is why our faith must be tested, because our hearts naturally gravitate to the things of this world. And we cannot often let go of the things of the world until the Lord shows us just how shaky they really are. Trust in money? How about an illness that can't be cured with any dollar bills to doctors? Trust in power? It can be taken away. And the Lord can show us this. There's a great there's a southern uh, gospel song called Sometimes It Takes a Mountain. And he makes this point. These are the lyrics. He "Says Sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes a troubled sea. Sometimes it takes a to get a hold of me. But your love, O Lord, is so much stronger than whatever troubles me. Sometimes it takes a mountain to trust you and believe. And so the Lord often puts these mountains in front of us to just show us You're trusting in the wrong things. And again, in contrast, the world is not uh, prepared for action. One one theologian said this. The highest part of the unsaved soul is glued to the earth. There's there's nothing else for them. They They don't see beyond it. Everything has to happen here and now. And Calvin, John Calvin said this, he said, even the smallest taste or desires for the allurements of the world can draw us away from God. So that's the exhortation. What is basically hindering you from walking with the Lord? There are things in our lives that he's saying, deal with them. It's time. It's time to disentangle ourselves from the world. So we move to the second point here. And this is the mindset. What does this look like? How can this be done? Well, he continues in verse 13. And he says, basically, this is how it's done. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Grace will be given to you when Jesus returns, when he is revealed. He saved us by grace, he keeps us by grace, and he will call us home by his grace, and it will be glorious. And if we understand this, if you start looking at your true reward, not the rewards of the world, if you start looking at your true reward, It's going to stimulate your hope and it is going to overpower the fleshly desires of this life. This is the glory of the gospel and this is the glory of God. He does not just come to us and say, you know those things you like? I don't want you to have them. That's not what he does. He comes and says, you know those things you like? They're not good. I've got something better. I'm not just saying don't, you can't have this. I'm saying you want this, you should have this. And so we place our hope there because we're offered something better, as we talked about this morning, something imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So the question is, do you have that hope? Have you been living with that hope? First John talks about it this way. 1 John 3.12 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what has not yet appeared. But we will know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. This is talking about glory. Colossians 3.4 says it this way. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. We, we forget that. But there is something about human nature that every single person alive at this moment desires glory. That's not a problem in itself. God designed us that way. That's why we love watching some of the these great sports moments where everything just comes together and someone does something amazing because it's, a, it's a, the moment of glory. Sometimes that's why we, we get so caught up in, in uh, fame and, and movie stars because we just see, like, man, their talent is so good. They're so good at what they do in acting. Or uh, you can take it in, in a, an author or a writer. There's something like little glimpses of glory are coming through. And and we're moved by that. The problem is, earthly glory always fades. There's nothing wrong if you have some of that. But he's saying there's something so much more. Think of some of the the best, brightest uh, who've ever lived. Stars from yesteryear. Their beauty began to fade as they got older. The brightest minds began to dim as they got older. Sometimes disease steals their abilities away. That is because earthly glory always fades. It is okay to desire glory. Jesus is saying, just don't look for it here. Your glory is in me. And so we were made for this glory. This is our hope. And he's saying in this verse, set your hope fully on this, perfectly, completely, to the end is kind of what's coming through in all of this. Place your faith, or place your hope in this, in this hope, the the glorious appearing. Now, hope is continually misused today. Even as Christians, we often use it to mean. I wish. I hope this happens. There's really no evidence that it's going to happen, but I hope it does. It's almost like we're saying, I wish it happens. That is not the hope he is calling to us here. He's saying, this is a hope that is sure. And so there's, there's very little difference between faith and hope. And often the Bible uses faith and hope Interchangeably because they are so closely related. It's because one flows from the other, but there are they are slightly different. So um, faith, uh, this is what Robert Lighton says. He says, faith establishes the heart on Jesus Christ. It points us to him and says, That's where I need to be. I trust him. My trust is in him. But then that produces hope which lifts, uh, lifts above the head of all dangers, crosses, and temptations, and sees the glory and happiness that comes after the trials. So faith says, this is where I place my trust, and that produces hope that is sure, steadfast, like an anchor. Hebrews says that Christ ascended into the veil. We can't see him right now, but just as if an anchor goes down into the water and you can't see where it went, that tie is still secure, and our tie to him is the same way. So in faith, set your hope fully on Christ and this for future reward. Not partially, not some Jesus and some on the government and some on the economy and some on justice in this life, not some on Jesus and your own smarts, not some on Jesus and some on your own beauty or your skills. No, he's saying trust entirely on me. None of those things are sinful in and of themselves. A good government is a a blessing of God. A good economy is the same thing. Justice in the court systems is a good thing. Skills, abilities, beauty, whatever the Lord has given you, those are gifts. There's nothing wrong with them, but we cannot put our hope in them. That's the difference. And that's what he's saying. Put it all on Christ. No matter what comes your way. All other ground is sinking sand. All worldly hopes are shaky and unstable. And so when you place your hope in them, you will be shaky and unstable as well. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And so this is the foundation because he is our hope and he does not, does not waver at all. And so we've had the exhortation, prepare your minds for action. Get rid of the things, the impediments and then place your hope here in heaven instead of on the things of this world. But he's going to go on now, and he's going to give us some action items. As we move into obedience, those are the first two things we must do, but then how do we obey? What is it we're called to do? Well, in general terms, we're going to read this in verse 14 through 16. It says this, As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So we have this word. And we have this hope. Now here's how we're supposed to live. For Again, I ask this question, do you have this hope? 1 John 3.3 3 says this, and everyone who hopes this way will purify himself because he is pure. If you have this hope, it moves you to purify yourself. If you're not moved into holiness, part of the reason is you probably don't have this hope as you should. But notice how he starts in verse 14. As obedient children, This is the blessing right here. Notice he did not say, if you do this and you get it all right, you will get to be his children. That's not the message. Through faith, we are his children. We're not working for our salvation. We have our salvation. And he's saying now because of that, follow hard after him. And so this is our blessed state here and now, at this moment. Even when our faith isn't as strong as it should be, and hope isn't as much in the, in the heavens as it should be, we are still his children if we have any ounce of faith. We've been adopted into his family. So out of gratitude, we should be obedient. One theologian said this, he said, of all the children that have ever lived the children of God are most obligated to obedience. For God is both the wisest and most loving of fathers. And the sum of all of his commands is for his glory and our happiness. God commands us to look to glorify him because he knows that is where we will be the most happy. Some people think, well, God seems a little bit ego, uh, like he's got a big ego. He just wants us to, to glorify him. Yes, he does. Because he knows that's going to be our happiest state. He's giving us to him, or he's giving himself to us. If you were to give us anything else, it would be less than what he could give us. But he's given us himself. So he, we, we look to his glory. And because of all of this, we can find. Now, it goes on, it says, Now, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So, the action items are twofold. There is a negative and a positive action item. The negative one is to put off the old man, to put off the old sinful nature. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Ignorance. Those are strong words. See, we used to live for the things of this world. We used to think life was found in chasing after riches. We used to think life was found in power and fame. And it's amazing how many people still think sexual prowess is the is where happiness is going to be found. We used to chase all of that stuff. And guess what? We were always discontent. When I was a kid, I thought, man, if I could just get a little freedom and get a little older, that's going to be great. I can't wait until I turn 16 and and can drive. That's the point. And then I turned 16, and I thought, well, I can drive. You know what? The day I get my first car, that's the point. That's the point where I'm really going to be content. Then I got my first car and I thought i got to pay for gas <laughs> and I've got to gotta find a girlfriend because if I have those things then I'll be content. And then it's if I get married and if I get the career and if I could just retire and it's always 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 something else is needed. We used to chase all of that and it never fully satisfied us. In fact He tells us, and by the way, some of those things are good in themselves. None of those things actually are wrong in themselves. It's just when we think they're our hope. Because our desires are wrong. And he says, look, these desires, the ones that you used to chase after in your former ignorance, they're not good. Peter tells us later that they actually war against your soul. We think they'll lift us up. But they actually tear us down. We did it in ignorance. We didn't know any better. We didn't know there was something greater we could be pursuing. We were not heavenly minded. In chapter 4 of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 3, he actually makes another statement alluding to this. He says this in chapter 4, verse 3. For the time that is past suffi- uh, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. The time for doing that has passed. There is no need to sow any more wild oats. You hear that all the time. People think, well, if I, uh, yeah, I'll I'll get this all sorted out later. I just need to sow a few more wild oats. Well, Peter's saying, no, you've wasted enough time doing that. In fact, what he's ultimately saying, if you don't see that now is the time, you're acting foolishly. We've we've spent enough time with that. And so Galatians 5.19 tells us what the works of the flesh are. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. Orgies and things like these, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not that they didn't do the right works. It's that the people who do those things don't have the faith pointing them to the true hope, guiding them to change their behavior. And again, we, we, we've we wasted too much time. On this. Now You read a list like that and you think, well, I'm glad I don't know a lot of people like that. That sounds like the dregs of society. The problem is in our sophisticated culture, it's all the same. We just hide it better. Don't waste any more time going after those things. We won't be here much longer. We'll soon be on our deathbeds and what will we say we spent our life pursuing? the things of the world, or the glory of God. First Peter two 1 Peter 2.1 says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Even as Christians, we often waste too much time dabbling in this stuff. We often think that social media can benefit us. And there are benefits of social media. You can stay in contact with people and you can do this. But the costs are high. If you want to see malice, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, just spend some time on Twitter. That's the way it is. We actually believe that binge-watching Netflix can fulfill us. Or we at least think it could give us that desired rest we need after a hard week. But it's filled with all the same. The stories are all, uh, most of them are filled with malice, deceit, sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, sorcery, all this type of stuff. And what Peter is saying to us here, in item one, put it away. Do not be conformed to the old nature anymore. Not going to be easy to do. But that's what we're called to do. Now the second one is the positive command. In verse 15 he said, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Goes on and says, Be holy as he is holy. Put that stuff away we just talked about. Instead, pursue Christ. Make him. Him your example. You want to know how to live? Look to Jesus. Spend time in his word. Go through the gospels. Verses from here, Peter tells us this. Like newborn infants, long for the spiritual milk. And that's the spiritual milk of the word. That by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Everybody in this room has probably said, yes, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But if the word of God sits throughout the week unopened, Peter's saying, are you sure you've tasted and seen? Because if you have, wouldn't you want more? And this is where we find it, spending time with him. And so the positive is command is to follow Jesus as our example. And he was constantly studying the word and speaking the word of God. He would pray continually. He was led by the spirit. And we know the fruits of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the things we are called to embody. We also, I mean, it, so often we do not do this. And it's no wonder that so many of us as believers, and I, I'm preaching to myself here, so often we are weak and worn because we haven't even put to work the, the, the means of grace that God has given us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, this deserves a sermon by itself, Paul tells us there, is a, there are weapons of righteousness for each hand. Now, we know the sword of the spirit, right? Uh, the sword of the armor of God, that's the word of God. But when, Peter, when Paul says there are weapons of righteousness, and he means there's two of them, what he is talking about is, number one, holy conduct, and what flows from it, too, a clear conscience. This is what keeps so many of us from actually doing the Lord's work. We're not living as we should, and our conscience are clear. You want to face persecution and trials with a conscience that's already guilty? It's going to be hard to stand. The enemy will use that to bring us to our knees. It's time to be right with the Lord. And so we are called to be obedient. And I challenge you all to read uh, at least chapters 2 through 3. The next time I'm here, we're going to look at chapter 5 a little bit. Um, We're called to be obedient. So the question is this. Would your friends describe you as holy? Maybe they would. Maybe they wouldn't. Maybe they have the wrong impression. Maybe they don't know. But there's a general s- something we should take into to heart there. If our friends would not say, holy is one of the things that describe us, we have work to do. Because holy and we want to pursue this because holiness is happiness. It has a clear conscience, it trusts in the word, it rests in the Savior, and it has a hunger for righteousness that is filled. Don't let the world pull you into its ways and don't be conformed into its patterns. We have a greater hope and this world is not our home. We have something better coming. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time that we could be together and for your word. We know it challenges us deeply and we know that every single one of us Including the preacher preaching these words no, we don't live up to this as we should so Lord we first come to you and ask you for forgiveness and second as we go out of here and move into this week we ask you for strength and for guidance and we pray that you just point our hope on what you have prepared for us and move us into the type of people you want us to be